Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for bearing with uh, some of the technical uh, issues as we start. It is the Zoom age after all, and this is what happens. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Welcome to our debate on the British Columbian economy in advance of Saturday's provincial election. Uh, today, our journalists are going to question representatives from all three major parties in BC on the issues of pandemic relief measures, uh, resources and climate change, and spending and tax issues. We welcome, in alphabetical order, Mike Bernier, the Liberal MLA for Peace River South, Sonia Furstenau, the Green Party of British Columbia MLA for Cowichan Valley, and her party's leader, of course, and George Heyman, New Democratic Party MLA for Vancouver Fairview. Uh, thanks all uh, for joining us. Three of our journalists, of course, will question them today, Haley Wooden, Nelson Bennett, and Tyler Orton. I'm going to serve as the gatekeeper and the timekeeper. And we're going to uh, try to be ruthless in keeping everybody to time in all of this and keep the discussion, of course, from getting beyond uh, the usual vigorous discussion uh, into uncivil territory. Um, we're going to start, though, with opening statements of no more than 90 seconds. And uh, it, we have drawn in order um, Mr. Bernier, followed by Mr. Heyman, followed by Ms. Firstenel. Mr. Bernier. Well, thanks, Kurt, and uh, welcome to everybody who's taking part today watching this, and welcome also to George and to Sonia. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Um, obviously, I thought we were going to be in person in the legislature in a fall session, not in a snap election, uh, but uh, neither here nor there. We happen to be in discussions now. Uh, you know, I really am looking forward to the uh, discussion over the next 90 minutes. We get to talk about, especially from our party, perspective, how we actually are the ones who are going to be having uh, the opportunity to rebuild the province, really around recovery of what British Columbia is going to look like uh, going forward and for not only the next four years, but after that as well. Uh, we need to bring confidence back into the province of British Columbia. And part of that is part of that rebuilding, obviously, is some of the things we've talked about, uh, cuts to PST to help reinvigorate, help small business and help people keep money in their pockets, uh, cuts to small business tax to help, again, ensure that we have uh, a thriving economy and businesses who are struggling. Uh, the poor tourism sector, who's been abandoned uh, under the present government that we want to make sure has the supports, uh, and really talk about the amazing candidates, uh, 86 candidates that we have running for us around the province. Uh, for the 10, seconds, Ten seconds. So, uh, so with that, I just uh, want to thank everyone again and look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Mr. Heyman. Thank you. First of all, I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the traditional territory of the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Uh, welcome to everybody who's joined us and uh, greetings, Sonia and Mike. I look forward to a good discussion. Uh, for the last several months, British Columbians have been addressing the tremendous both health, personal, and economic impacts of the pandemic. And we have worked hard to provide people with the healthcare, the safety, uh, and the, uh, the addressing of the economic impacts of the pandemic that people so desperately need. We brought forward an economic recovery plan, and now we're at a position where we really need to plan future, several years into the future. We know the pandemic will be with us for a while, and we know that the economic impacts won't go away overnight. So our focus is simple. It's to focus on providing people the services they need, particularly better healthcare that they can rely on. It's to ensure that individuals and small businesses have affordability and security. We wanna put workers and small businesses at the front of the recovery. 
and we want to build good jobs, good livelihoods with a modern, diversified economy. And finally, of course, we need to do that by dealing with the challenge of our generation, climate change, and deal with it seriously with a well-thought-out plan. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Heyman. Ms. Fersenau. Thank you, and I'd like to acknowledge I'm on unceded territories of Malahat Nation and Cowichan tribes. COVID-19 has indeed dealt a significant blow to our economy and to our people's sense of security. And people are very much worried about the health of their loved ones and themselves, and very much worried about the future of jobs and the economy in this province. Some are facing in economic insecurity for the first time. Uh, and for others, it has worsened what was already a precarious financial picture. In response, we need targeted supports where they are needed most. The BC Greens are proposing solutions that would help people and businesses right now and get the economy back onto solid footing. Solutions include helping small businesses make rent payments through the winter, a significant new grant for individuals who are paying too much of their income in rent, affordable and high quality childcare, income for stay at home parents, and more flexible working options and a green recovery from COVID-19 driven by an ambitious climate plan. As we invest to get through this, we need to make sure that we are being deliberate and strategic with every dollar that we spend, and we need to take actions that address the health and economic impacts of COVID now, but position our province for success coming out of COVID-19. Thank you, thank you all three. Our first segment is on pandemic relief, and the segment's gonna feature questions from BIV's Haley Wooden. The first question is gonna to go to Mr. Bernier, for 60 seconds, followed by responses and the same question to Mr. Heyman and Ms. Fersenau. Haley? In addition to managing the costs of the pandemic, many businesses are struggling to afford insurance. Rates have been impacted by the pandemic itself, along with other market forces. The BC Liberal platform commits to take steps to address steep strata insurance premiums. What role should the province play when it comes to the issue of business insurance affordability? Mr. Bernie, 60 seconds. Well, thank you. And thank you, Haley, for the question. And obviously, for a lot of viewers, uh, this is a, of huge importance. When you look at what we've seen around the strata insurance, it's a policy uh, that has been forgotten, I would say, under the NDP government. When you look at what we brought forward, whether it would be private members' bills, debates in the House, I know MLA Todd Stone was at the forefront uh, of this issue, making sure that uh, people understood that they were being left behind, that government needed to do more. And one of the things we've talked about is making sure that we sit down, not only with the business community, but looking at those options to make sure that there's affordability in place. You look right now at, because of COVID, this happened before COVID, but because of COVID, business sectors are struggling. Again, whether it's small business and the tourism sector, and that's why we looked at uh, PST cuts and small business tax cuts as a start to be able to help people. Mr. Heyman. Well, thank you. And, and I would just point out to, uh, to Mr. Bernier and to the listeners that uh, the BC Liberal platform is uh, filled with massive tax cuts that are going to blow a hole in the budget with no uh, thought to how those can be targeted strategically to help people who need it the most. The last time the BC Liberals did that, we saw massive cuts to services and big increases in fees, including ironically, a one third increase in auto insurance fees that left people behind. 
So we are targeting uh, our assistance strategically, whether it's a $300 million fund to help a small business that they can use to spend on a variety of things, whether it's our commitment uh, to look at strata insurance fees and to step in with a public system if the industry itself can't address it. Ms. Firstenau, 60 seconds. Thanks, and, and I think it's widely acknowledged, as you can see across all three parties, that this is an issue. And so for me, the priority would be that all the parties work together very efficiently and very quickly to get the solutions out. It's, an, it's a yet another thing that we need to move beyond politics with. In our platform, we've identified that we would convene a task force to deal with the rising cost of insurance, uh, develop solutions with the BC Finance, Financial Services Authority mm. uh, and work with insurance brokers, insurers and stratas owners. But also I know for businesses, this is an issue uh, on, in addition to many other costs that they've seen rising over the last few years. And we have to recognize small businesses and medium-sized businesses are often working very close to margins and can't be seen as a kind of endless revenue machine but they have to be seen as the vital and important uh, parts of our community and our economy that they are. And we have to orient everything we do to ensure that they stay that way. Thank you. Second question is for Mr. Heyman with responses from Ms. Firstenau and Mr. Bernie, 60 seconds each. Haley? Government has amended liquor laws and taken other steps to help the food service sector better cope with COVID-19. But once physical distancing restrictions are lifted, how will the BC NDP support restaurants and food service establishments? Well, we have uh, committed after our initial um, uh, move of uh, change to uh, pricing for liquor products that we will extend that into the future. And uh, we will work with the industry to look at ensuring they remain sustainable. Once physical distancing is over, that's not going to change the significant holes that many uh, establishments have fallen into as a result of curtailed business during COVID. But we also know that COVID is going to be with us for a while. I suspect physical distancing will be with us for a while. And I think what we have to be very careful to do collectively in British Columbia is what we have been doing. And that's to flatten the curve even in the midst of the second wave to keep things from getting out of control so we don't have to close businesses down again. So many businesses have said that would be the end of them. So whether it's patios, whether it's pricing, whether it's other measures like, uh, like loans or support for payroll, we need to work with small business and the hospitality industry. Thanks very much. Ms. Firstenau. I think that one of the things that we saw because of COVID-19 was the capacity for governments to act far more quickly than they typically do to make changes. So changes to the liquor licensing, changes to outdoor seating, changes to uh, all sorts of regulations. And so this needs to stay in place, this kind of capacity for nimbleness, uh, particularly when it comes to COVID recovery around small businesses, around uh, restaurants and food establishments. Uh, because they're, they're going to have a very significant uh, hole to dig out of. I met with one yesterday, you know, the revenue is only back up to about 70% right now, uh, but costs remain at 100% of where they were. So recognizing that they're going to need additional support and that government is really going to have to be a good partner in ensuring that when solutions are brought to the table, uh, government's really listening and moving quickly with those. All right, Mr. Bernier, 60 seconds for you. Sorry, forgot to unmute, but the, here's the thing is that supports should have been there. Supports we thought were there when we had all parties sit in the house 
and vote in favor of a $5 billion recovery plan. And the NDP sat on $1.5 billion of that. Uh, Mr. Heyman talked about $300 million that's been put aside to help small business. Well, you look at the application process, nobody can apply. Nobody can actually benefit from that actual money that is much needed right now. That's why we're putting policies in place right away uh, when elected that will have direct impacts immediately to help small business by eliminating the small business tax, that 2%, and elimination of PST. I mean, it's fine and dandy. We all agree around the health and safety of the people in British Columbia and Bonnie Henry doing such a great job. Where the government has failed is they've sat back and watched that rather than actually stepping up and helping small business in BC. Thanks very much, Mr. Bernier. Uh, we now have a series of, uh, for me, the third question now is for Ms. Firstenau and with responses from Mr. Bernier and Mr. Heyman. Kaylee? The BC Greens have proposed a $300 million six-month rent subsidy program for small businesses. What is your party's plan for supporting small businesses when support programs wind down, but the BC economy remains in a downturn? Thanks. And, and I, the, the $300 um, million for rent support right now is to make sure that the small businesses survive this winter because that's essential. It's very hard to rebuild after a business has, has uh, not been able to survive. And that comes from recognizing the value of those small businesses. Ideally, uh, the supports that have been coming are going to continue to help keep the economy moving and keep it uh, navigating through. But what we have to recognize is instead of uh, granting massive subsidies, for example, to LNG Canada, that we are instead focused on uh, support, uh, tax relief, uh, and, and, and ensuring that small and medium-sized businesses are making it as we get through this economic recovery. They are the essential backbones of our local economies and have to be recognized and valued as such. Mr. Bernier, 60 seconds. Well, thank you. And I mean, again, this is one of the big challenges and it was addressed even by others. If businesses have to shut down again, the odds of them recovering is, uh, is probably not going to happen. That's why we need to ensure we have supports right away. Should have happened a while ago, but after this election, one of the big things we know that we want to do is through the loan guarantee program for the tourism sector and for small businesses to make sure they don't struggle and have to close their doors. When you look at 19,000 tourism and hospitality businesses in the province of British Columbia, they're screaming out for supports. They have been for months and they've been ignored. And so we need to make sure that the hundreds of thousands of people who work in those sectors and the billions of dollars that's generated for the province of BC, that that gets some recognition and these businesses get the supports so they can stay in business, which means families can then go to work every day. And Mr. Heyman. Thank you. Well, the first thing, of course, is to get small businesses through the pandemic. That's why we have a $300 million fund. The uh, applications are being taken in and the money is being uh, um, dispensed. As In addition, we have uh, tax cuts that benefit uh, small businesses and we're continuing with that. One of the things our government did before the pandemic was a 20% cut in the small business tax. We've taken measures to reduce rents by 25%. Uh, it's important that we keep businesses on their feet leading up to a growth in the economy when we're through this pandemic. We'll work with businesses. We're providing uh, training spaces and schools to help uh, uh, businesses get the workers they require. We're subsidizing uh, growth in salary uh, over the next uh, three months. 
There are a number of measures that we're taking that will keep small businesses operating and we'll continue to work with them going forward through both uh, investment and the training that they need for skilled workers. All right, thank you, Mr. Heyman. Um, now we are gonna open up the format of our, uh, our discussion today to have the three one-on-one -on -one debates of four minutes each in which uh, you may ask questions of each other. Um, it's, of course, we're sticking to the topic of pandemic relief. We'll have other debates a little later on uh, for on other topics. But our first two debaters in this case will be Mr. Bernier and Mr. Heyman. And by, uh, by order of rotation, Mr. Bernier, you're up first. Not sure exactly how you want the format to go, Kirk, but I'm going to ask, uh, I guess, questions. And we'll you, have you, ask, uh, you ask Mr. Uh, Heyman a question. That's well, I can do that. So I guess my first question uh, would be to George. He, he keeps talking about this $300 million. He talks about the $1.5 billion that his government held on to when it could have gone out of the, out the door months ago when it was approved by all three parties to try to help small business. Uh, we've seen none of that. And we've heard businesses screaming that they want support and help. So why did the government hold on to that $1.5 billion until an election was called rather than releasing it when it could have actually gone to help businesses? Well, thank you, uh, Mike. But your question betrays the same imprecise and ill thought out approach that your whole party is taking to trying to get votes uh, in this election. Uh, the, uh, the cut uh, to the PST uh, for 100% uh, cut in the first year, followed by a 50% cut after that, would uh, take about $10 billion out of the budget. Nobody said what you're going to do, how you're going to provide services, how you're going to make up for that. You haven't said either how actually we have. a blanket, uh, a blanket uh, cut like that is actually going to target and help the businesses or the people that need it. So we took an approach to consult broadly with business, with people, through town halls, through other measures, to figure out a suite of actions to take us through to the end of March that could actually put people to work. You mentioned the tourism industry. We put small boat tourism operators who had no business at all this summer to work cleaning up the plastic debris along our coast. And we got that money out early before the rest of the plan was announced so they wouldn't miss the season. We Is that why most businesses are complaining that you're not getting any funds right now and they're at risk of going out of business because government held on to that money rather than helping them to the get-go? A few jobs is great. Businesses are going out I, of business. We've supported businesses with uh, the rent cuts, they, uh, rent freezes they needed. We've given them uh, rental assistance. We're planning more. We have a process to ensure that businesses that ask for the money will get the money. Tourism businesses are uh, eligible for an and additional- And they're all saying that none of them are able to qualify under your rules. Uh, Mike, so that's, that's simply uh, incorrect. Well, that's not what the tourism sector is saying. So we're listening the tourism to the sector, sector. Mike is getting exactly what they asked for. They're well, getting they asked for, they asked for more than nothing. They're getting they a tourism task force made up of industry experts who are going to decide for themselves exactly how to target the money that's been allocated for them. And in budget uh, 21, 22, we will do more. Well, the tourism sector and small business in the province is also getting from you 23 new and increased taxes, which is actually going to their bottom line, which is affecting them. And they're also saying that those are impacting them negatively, which means more people are at risk of losing their jobs. More businesses are at risk of shutting down. This started before the pandemic. So you compound that on now with the pandemic and the lack of supports for business 
that's come from this government. It's no wonder. Well, Mike, I'd invite you to uh, I'd invite you to de detail those twenty three taxes, but we cut small business taxes. I'd love to get into that. We only have four minutes, though. Part of the recovery plan is to tell small businesses that they're exempt from PST on new machinery and equipment going forward. We're so you're agreeing with the cut that we're doing we're is what you're saying? Uh, no, it's a targeted cut, Mike, and it will have a very precise impact instead of allowing multimillionaires to save PST in a yacht when they're doing just fine. Well, I think it's also everybody. fair to say PST is a regressive tax and it'll affect people at the lower income levels a lot more than higher. So it's a complete like, accurate statement. For food, school supplies, clothing for children are all currently exempt from PSD. That eats up a lot of what a low-income family pays for. People with a lot of resources buy a lot of stuff. Some of it comes from BC. Some of it doesn't. We're giving British Columbia. So are you saying that PSD is okay, no well, uh, we'll, stop, we'll stop right there, gentlemen, and we're going to go to our second debate. And our second debate features Mr. Heyman and Ms. Firstenau. And Mr. Heyman, you get to ask a question of Ms. Firstenau and launch into this debate. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Kirk. And Ms. Firstenau, you've, uh, you've indicated that, um, that you have a long-term program to support small business and you have a long-term program to uh, take uh, money from one part of the economy and invest it in another. But you haven't told us how you would support workers through a transition as opposed to a, an abrupt change in the nature of the work that they're currently doing to work that they're not yet trained for. I think what you're speaking about is, is our commitment to support oil and gas workers in particular and then transition to a clean economy, which absolutely has to happen. I'd expect as a former climate and uh, climate minister, environment and climate change minister, you know absolutely how severe the climate emergency is right now and how much of a risk it poses to our economy moving forward. The transition that we propose would actually ensure that workers in, in the oil and gas sector, in the resource sectors, uh, are supported with both training and jobs in other sectors. If we were building a clean energy economy, which we should have started doing many years ago, we wouldn't be faced with this problem right now uh, where we've left this emergency for so long that we are forced into a transition that is going to have to be more abrupt than it needed to be. Uh, but continuing to prop up the oil and gas industry, it doesn't have a fiscal foot to stand on at this point with taxpayers' money that should be going to support small businesses, medium businesses, entrepreneurs, high tech, uh, manufacturing in BC uh, was the wrong direction. Your government chose to take it. Uh, and we say that there's another way of doing this. Uh, and of course, we support workers through this, uh, but there are more jobs in the clean energy economy. If we were building that clean energy economy in every region of BC, there would be more jobs than exist right now in the oil and gas economy. Well, thank you. Um, as you know, because your party and Andrew Weaver worked with us on the Clean BC Climate and Economic Plan, we do take climate change seriously, and we also see it as an economic opportunity. And much of the work, even though the plan is only a year old, has begun to be implemented. And that was a good collaborative experience with the two caucuses working together. Part of our recovery plan is to establish a center for innovation and clean growth. Another part of the uh, recovery plan is to look at even more uh, effective ways to support people through home energy retrofits, through business energy retrofits, uh, through property assessed clean energy. We are willing in the BC NDP to look at a range of things that will invest in a diverse economy, in a clean energy economy, 
in the tremendous uh, ingenuity and inventiveness of our hold tech. On, hold on. You're willing to talk about it, George, but what the reality is with Bill 17, for example, what you were willing to do was actually take a step that would have wiped out the clean energy economy in BC, that would have put First Nations who have invested in clean energy in this province at risk economically uh, with the investments that they've made. And you're willing to talk about this, but you're not willing to say that, yes, Clean BC is an ex ex excellent collaborative plan, but the 25% that we can't reach of our targets for being net zero by 2050 is because of your decision to go forward with, with giving uh, LNG Canada even more than the BC Liberals were willing to offer them in tax breaks and subsidies. That's the reality. You cannot square climate action, subsidizing uh, and the fracking industry in this province. It is not possible. And people are calling you on this because they need the last 20 seconds of this kind as of you know, as you know, we modeled phase one of LNG Canada within Clean BC. We're committed to showing British Columbians how we will reduce the remaining 25%. In the meantime, we'll continue to implement the plan that we worked on with you. I think what Orwell would call that is the new math, George. I think we'll get to some uh, more discussion on climate change a little later on in our, in our debate today. But our third debate in this segment on pandemic relief, I might add, features Ms. Firstenau and Mr. Bernier. Ms. Firstenau, you're up first with a question for Mr. Bernier. Uh, thank you very much. And Mike, my question for you is along the lines of what I was just talking about with George, which is, you know, your party talks a lot about small business and, and, and needing to invest in that, but you supported the NDP uh, in a very significant subsidized giveaway to LNG Canada. Uh, where do you stand on the importance of building a clean energy economy? Uh, and particularly in the Northeast, for example, where we could be tapping into some pretty impressive geothermal uh, capacity that we have up there. Also, Tumblr Ridge, for example, had a lined up private investment in more wind energy that got wiped out by Site C. When you guys have supported the NDP on these decisions that I think evidence continues to show, particularly with Site C, are financially very, very risky for our province. Well, thanks. And I know we're a little off topic when we're talking about uh, pandemic relief and getting into the climate action. Let me first of all say, Sonia, since I haven't had a chance to see you in person because of the SNAP election, congratulations uh, on taking on the role uh, as leader and you're, you're doing your party uh, justice. And, and it's great to see you doing that. Now, when you look at um, what we've been doing going forward, though, I won't shy away from the fact that we have always said that we need to have supports in place for not only small business, uh, but industry and job creators here in the province of British Columbia. Uh, I have always been an advocate for the LNG sector, as our party has been. In fact, if you look obviously at the history, uh, typically the NDP until uh, recently uh, was opposed to a lot of this. Uh, so there's very few times that we've actually been aligned. One of the things that we are in favor of, again, during this crisis is who's the best party for the recovery? Who's the best party to be able to rebuild the economy? When you look at the history of the BC Liberals having the strongest economy when we were in power, making sure that we had some of the uh, largest investments in the province of British Columbia, uh, some of the lowest unemployment, that's what people are looking at right now. Bonnie Henry has done a great job dealing with the pandemic. We need a party in place now that can deal with the recovery of the province, which frankly, unfortunately, when we have the Green Party who's opposed to most of the uh, things that are actually going to be part of recovering uh, the province today, 
uh, and the NDP uh, as well, who have basically ignored uh, this sector. That's why we're making bold announcements, bold steps to help small business, industry, job creators, and families to make sure that it's well-rounded so everybody in BC uh, has an opportunity uh, to partake and to feed their families and to work collectively out of this pandemic into a So Mike, I, I like that you brought up Dr. Henry, and this is a great example where um, political uh, elected representatives uh, took the advice of an expert. We followed the guidance of our provincial health expert because she knew more than anybody uh, what the right things to do is. And what we, what the Greens do generally uh, is, is follow the advice of experts. So what the advice of experts are saying on climate is that we have to act on this because it is such a significant risk, not only to our environment, not only to our health, but to our, our economy. Uh, and we look at the cost of climate change already in BC, the wildfire seasons that we've been through, the droughts, the flooding. And then let's take the advice of experts on in terms of economic recovery. And that's very been much focused across the board that economists are saying we need a clean recovery, a green economy. Uh, we need to ensure that we're investing in the kind of futures that we want, including clean energy future. And, and the reality around uh, fracking and the impact it has, and I know it's important in your, re in your region, and this is why we would have a just transition for workers, uh, is that it risks drinking water, it, it releases enormous amounts of methane, and it's yeah, well, responsible for seismic so, activity. And we're going to stop, we're gonna stop yeah. right there, the two of you, but it's actually in broadcasting terms an excellent segue for our next segment, which is on resources and climate change. It's going to feature questions from BIB's Nelson Bennett. Again, 60-second responses to his questions. The first question is to Mr. Heyman with responses from Mr. Bernier and Ms. Personnel. Nelson? Yeah, uh, in, uh, well, last year we had several sawmills uh, closed down permanently in BC, and we're told that, it's, that we're now the highest cost jurisdiction in North America. What would an NDP government do to address the cost competitiveness issue? Would, for example, would you consider reforming uh, stumpage rates uh, so that they're more in line with uh, market uh, prices? Well, first of all, Nelson, thanks for the question, but uh, mills have been closing in British Columbia uh, as a result of predictions that were made a number of years ago when the BC Liberals were in government. And they're closing because the BC Liberals did no planning for what would happen after the, uh, after the surge in processing of beetle kill wood, which acts actually involved uh, high grading of other wood that happened to be in close proximity. Uh, if we play with stumpage, we open ourselves up to softwood lumber tariff disputes with the United States yet again for round um, four or five. What we do want to do is ensure that we look for ways to add value to our product, therefore uh, employing more people, uh, bringing more wealth to the industry, uh, and we are in investing in a number of ways to do that, whether it's supporting uh, technologies, uh, working on mass timber and tall timber buildings and a number of other measures to ensure that we have a stable um, forest economy built on value added. Mr. Bernier. Well, thank you. I do find it uh, quite interesting from Mr. Heyman uh, in his comments. Listen, when John Horgan uh, was becoming premier, he said, don't worry, everybody, there will never be a mill shut down on my watch. 43 mills shut down and curtailed since then uh, is another broken promise 
from John Horgan, which is also thousands of people who are out of work. You know, we talk about the, the soft uh, lumber agreement. I, I, my only cynical comment to George would be, I guess there's no big check from a union uh, available in Washington. So there's no point going back to try to uh, try to work on this issue. Upsetting for forest dependent communities is the fact that there are thousands, tens of thousands of jobs at stake here and it needs the attention. So whether it's through stumpage, as Nelson's uh, talking about, whether it's uh, confidence, because most companies I'm talking to right now are saying we're struggling on investing in BC because we don't know if it's a good place to invest our dollars. And we need to change that. Thank you, Ms. Bertano. It's interesting to hear George blame the, the the liberals when we've had three and a half years and and part of what was in our confidence and supply agreement was reforms to forestry practice, reform to legislation, and every session uh, we would ask if the liberals were, or sorry, if the NDP were bringing this legislation, these reforms forward, and they kicked it down the road every single time because they didn't have the courage to do what's needed to be done, which is to bring significant reforms to how we manage forestry in BC and recognizing that the status quo is going to get us exactly what we've got right now. I was uh, in Nanaimo in the port yesterday. There was a, a, a container ship literally full of raw lumber uh, going off of Vancouver Island. Uh, this produces no jobs, uh, basically, for people on Vancouver Island. Uh, and and the, the, the fact is that uh, the, the NDP made no efforts to change the outcomes that we're getting from how we manage our forests in this province um, because they, they wouldn't bring the, the legislation forward, to, to which is needed. We need to change how we manage forests. We need to ensure that forests are, are managed locally and that the benefits are staying in the communities where those resources are being extracted. Thanks very much. Your second question actually is to Ms. Personnel with Mr. Heyman and Mr. Bernier responding. Nelson? Yeah, um, if the Green Party were to find itself in a position of influence again in a minority government situation, would the Green Party insist on the cancellation of Site C Dam? And if so, um, who would pay the billions of dollars in sunk cost? Would it be the taxpayer or BC hydro ratepayers? Yeah, is, thank you for the question. And, you know, I, just, I point to the Narwhal article that came out today that said uh, Energy Ministry Assistant Deputy Minister Les McLaren knew that uh, BC Hydro had already exhausted its $858 million contingency fund. They knew this a year ago. They knew that there were the geotechnical issues. Uh, the mishandling of this project has been shocking, to say the least. And I think we don't even know the, the, the beginnings of it. Uh, and we are going to see, we're going to hear a lot more of the sunk cost fallacies about uh, we just have to, we've poured in so much money, we have to keep going. And I think that that is a fallacy. Uh, and we have to call this uh, government out on their decision to proceed with this. But yeah, the, the reality is it's going to be uh, a debt is going to be incurred. Uh, and it's, it's greater than it needed to be because the NDP should have canceled this in 2017. Uh, but the, that is not a reason to keep pouring good money after bad. Uh, look at Muskrat Falls and where that got Newfoundland and Labrador. We do not want to end up in that situation. Thanks, Thanks very much. Mr. Heyman. Well, uh, as Ms. Firstno knows, uh, the NDP had a different plan for providing uh, British Columbia with energy. It was uh, distributed, it was renewable, it was a combination of, uh, of energy efficiency and uh, many other measures. However, uh, the BC Liberals, uh, Mike Bernier, Christy Clark, and others were determined 
to drive this project. And by the time we took office in 2017, there was a lot of money sunk into it and there would have been a total of 4 billion that could not be amortized over time that British Columbian taxpayers would have had to pay for. This was a gut-wrenching decision. Uh, and Ms. Furstenau knows that in the course of negotiations to form the agreement uh, with our party, uh, all that was agreed to was to send this to the BC Utilities Commission. They did not give a conclusive answer. We have always been concerned with Site C, but we didn't feel we could saddle uh, British Columbians with that debt. We're now reviewing uh, new information and a decision will be made uh, as a result of the Melbourne investigation that we've commissioned. Mr. Bernier. Well, thank you. And and the unfortunate part of that answer from the person before me was basically saying the confidence and supply agreement yet again was worth nothing. Um, to say all you were doing was sending it to the Utilities Commission, uh, I guess, I guess Sonia, that the Green Party should have done a better job on that one. Look, at the end of the day, in 2017, Site C had about $4 billion put into it, and it was on time, and it was on budget. Independent reports all showed that. The problem has been over the last couple of years, there has been a lack of oversight by this government. They seem to have had a nonchalant, hands-off approach when it comes to Site C, maybe hoping it would just go away and nobody would talk about it. But this is one of the largest projects in BC history. It's one that requires oversight. It's also one that requires guidance and political involvement to ensure it's done properly and on time and on budget. And we failed that by sending the project to the Utilities Commission, actually put the project behind by one year, which cost millions and millions of dollars, which has put us in the problem we're in now. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Third question is actually to you, Mr. Bernier, with Ms. Personnel and Mr. Heyman responding. Nelson? Yes, um, so a BC Liberal government initially introduced carbon taxes in BC. The NDP government has, has raised them. The Mining Association of BC recently rang alarm bells about carbon leakage. They're saying that they need some mechanism to pr protect the energy intensive trade exposed industries. So what would, um, what would a Liberal government do to address this issue? Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and that's a really good question. I mean, obviously, uh, when we were looking at making sure we had a, a future here in British Columbia, <clears throat> reducing our carbon emissions, working with industry and stakeholders, I was part of the plan back then. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, with Gordon Campbell and with uh, Dr. Andrew Weaver at the time putting forward uh, the, what we were considering around um, a carbon tax. That there was also revenue neutral. It comprised obviously tax reductions and other ways to help business when we put in the carbon tax to help put in incentives, but also to help businesses move forward. One of the biggest issues now is it's become a cash cow for this government. Carbon emissions have gone up, carbon tax has gone up. The federal government has now uh, put this uh, province wide for all provinces, sorry, uh, which is fine. But one of the things we need to do is is ensure that we lower this back down to be competitive with other provinces and work with the federal government to ensure a proper plans in place actually make a difference. Thank you. Third question is to you, Mr. Bernier, Ms. Firstenau and Mr. Heyman responding. Nelson? Oh, that, that, that was the question. Oh, I'm sorry, that was the third question. Pardon me, pardon me. Yeah. Is it my turn? I'll just <laughs> try something. I'll, I'll, I'll answer another one if you want. 
No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> now we're going to go though to our one-on-one -on -one debates, and they're about four minutes each. And uh, the first involves. Did Ms. you want? Sorry, did you want George and me to respond to that question first? Yes, go ahead. Sorry. So the teacher in the room is just uh, is just reverting to form here. I'm trying to keep track of everything, but uh, yeah, no, that's fine. My my apologies, Miss Person. Now you you're up. Yeah, Nelson, you specifically talked about the energy intensive trade exposed industries, and this is interesting because the this is one of the ways that uh, the NDP decided to give a, an, another significant giveaway to LNG Canada, which is under that uh, part of Clean BC, they decided that LNG Canada's carbon pricing would be frozen at $30, while every other uh, citizen and industry in BC is, is seeing uh, the rise steadily. Uh, and what LNG Canada does is it takes up, by the time it's online, it will be 100%, 160% of our allowable emissions if we're meeting our targets, uh, which means that basically every other industry in this province has to just curl up in the fetal position and not uh, emit anything. Uh, and this is another example of really poor decision making. Uh, yes, we need to be having uh, protection of, of existing industries in this province. That was that, That's what that was supposed to be about, not about bringing in a new industry that would be such an intensive emitter of carbon. Um, and as Mike says, uh, the, uh, the, the carbon tax is best when it's renewed, when it's re reverted to people, uh, that's how it should be working. That's what economists have told us. It should be going back in the pockets of people so that it's, it is helping people get through the transition. Thank you very much, Mr. Heyman. Well, Sonia, the, uh, the relief uh, on the carbon tax for LNG Canada is the same relief and the same formula that's applied to all industry in BC. And we're not disqualifying one industry because um, you don't like it. It's the same formula and it is based on emissions uh, intensive trade exposed industries that actually meet or beat world standards. Uh, to Mr. Bernier, uh, revenue neutrality is not a bunch of boutique tax credits that existed before the carbon tax and tax cuts to the richest British Columbians. It's actually taking money, investing it in transit, investing it in, uh, in research support and tech support for industries that want to lower emissions. It's low and middle income tax credits, and that's what we're doing. And as for the mining industry, they're eligible for the uh, relief that we give for the above 30 carbon tax, and we have been working with them and others and to so ensure that we don't have carbon leakage. Thank you, Mr. Heyman. I've got my bearings back now, so now we're going to go to our one-on-one -on -one debates. They're four minutes each. And the first involves Ms. Firstenau and Mr. Heyman. Ms. Firstenau, you get to ask the question. So we've had new math, now we've had new speak, and I know that uh, I've asked George about this in, in question period. Uh, the way that LNG Canada got to be qualified for the energy intensive trade exported industries uh, cut or you know, breaks on their carbon tax is that they're the only uh, industry of their kind in BC and therefore they're the world leading. Uh, it, it, you know, this, is, this has been, uh, wrapping themselves into pretzels to give the, the giveaways to this one company while every other industry in BC is being told that you have to uh, reduce your carbon emissions, you have to get on board with the transition and you have to be part of the solution. Uh, George, uh, honestly, I don't know how you justify this, uh, but I think it's really important that people recognize that for the decisions that have been made in the last three and a half years by your government, decisions that have often been imposed by us, uh, you, you, you don't, you should not be blaming the Liberals, you should not be blaming us. If you've made the decisions, be responsible, take accountability, and own up to them. And that's this decision on this, on giving LNG Canada this carbon tax break uh, was, a, from my opinion, and I think for a lot of British Columbians who are paying more 
uh, in carbon tax, then what the largest point source emission uh, in this pro in this province will be paying. I think that that's an unjustifiable uh, decision to make. Well, Sonia, you're you're simply wrong in your premise because as part of the formula of world leading BC. Uh, uh, BC companies that emit are actually removed from the formula. Your staff had that explained to them. I assume uh, they explained it to you. So LNG Canada is getting the uh, relief on the over $30 carbon tax because they are the least uh, emissions intensive uh, LNG uh, producer globally. And should they cease to be that on the review that happens every five years, then they'll cease to qualify. Uh, that's the way the system works. It works for all industries. And we're not simply taking an industry and saying it won't apply to you. So in that sense, it was part of the deal. You're so also, your, your, uh, if, if I might finish, your estimate of the total emissions of LNG Canada are based on both, fa both phases of LNG Canada. The only agreement the BC government made with LNG Canada, this government, was on phase one. The previous government, yes, issued a certificate for both phases. We've been clear, future LNG development has to show how it fits within our emission reduction plan, either by reducing the sector overall or by reducing their own emissions to fit, full stop. Except that this one doesn't because it only takes us 70, it takes the 25% out of reaching the targets that uh, are identified in Clean BC. Um, and, and, you know, that's, again, it, it, it just seems astonishing to me uh, in 2020 from the former executive director of the Sierra Club to be making these kinds of excuses. Is the methane emissions uh, that will be upstream of this project, are those taken into account? Is those are absolutely taken into account. And Sonia, you know that a significant uh, reduction in methane emissions as part of Clean BC scheduled for 2025, as well as a commitment to go further by applying uh, the best in class technology, which is being developed, whether it's satellite uh, detection of pinpointing emission reduction sources or other work that Geoscience BC is uh, doing. We modeled Clean BC phase one in uh, clean B in uh, LNG Canada phase one and clean BC. We're exactly. working on the remaining 25% and we're uh, on track to talk to British Columbians about that. We know we need to do more and we intend to do. More. Yeah, what I do know also is that another agreement in CASA that wasn't fulfilled was to put carbon pricing on methane emissions. Uh, Sonia, we spoke with Andrew Weaver when we, I met with him regularly and the agreement was it was more efficient to regulate them. That's the direction we're going. We haven't ruled out pricing it, but regulation gives us a hard figure that they have to reach. All right, thank you both of you. Our second debate involves Mr. Bernier and Ms. Personnel. Mr. Bernier, you get to uh, ask the question. Oh, you're muted, Mike. And so, thank you, Sonia. Um, I guess one of the questions I'll ask is you, um, I guess it is near and dear to me, but also to other province of British Columbia, whether it's jobs or revenue, mm -hmm. is the Green Party continues to talk about trying to shut down uh, resource sectors in rural British Columbia, specifically uh, the oil and gas sector. Uh, there's been some talk about mining. Um, I guess my question, Sonia, is, uh, I mean, we all agree that uh, eventually we're going to be weaning ourselves off and we need to have a plan for a greener future, which is what we've been doing as a BC Liberal Party. When you speak, it sounds like you want to tomorrow shut down these sectors. Um, if that's not the case, what is your timeline and what do you plan on doing for all the loss of jobs and revenue to the province? 
Yeah, thanks, Mike. And, and, and we're very clear that we talk about a transition. And, and what needs to happen is to actually start moving on the transition, not just talking about it happening at some point in the future, but making decisions as government uh, that recognize that we have a responsibility to our children, to future generations, to ensure that this transition starts uh, under our watch. And what we're not talking about is fewer jobs. We're talking about more jobs. So if we had a clean energy economy where we were creating clean energy sectors in every region of British Columbia, as I pointed out, geothermal in the Northeast, wind power, uh, Northwest geothermal, solar, uh, we have potential for tidal energy. We're creating energy projects in communities that are creating long-term sustainable jobs, not boom and bust, not there's a pipeline being built and then it's done. And then, you know, you go back home from your work camp. We need to be creating jobs in communities and we need to be recognizing that what we haven't been seizing in British Columbia is this incredible opportunity that we have because we have everything we need to build that clean energy uh, and renewable energy economy. And I find it astonishing uh, that both of the other two parties have been unwilling to recognize that we are bypassing what is so available to us. And I, you know, one of the visions I have, which I, I always find so exciting, is this notion that, say, in the Northwest, we built the, the Northwest BC Institute for Renewable Energy, where we're not only figuring out the, the latest innovation and technology in, ter in terms of capturing, storing, moving. Uh, geothermal energy, but we're exporting that innovation around the world, that capacity. Uh, and we're also creating a whole new high-tech economy. Like I, it, it's so- it well, Sonia, let me, let me just say, yeah. Sonia, I mean, I appreciate uh, your comments from, from, a, from a high level, but there's no specifics there. And let me just say this, under the BC Liberal government, uh, I'm actually sitting in Dawson Creek right now, the very first city in Canada to be recognized as a solar city. The very first green energy facility and college was built right here in Dawson Creek as well with partnership of the BC Liberal government. That was back in the days when we understood that we had to start looking for other opportunities to diversify not only our economy, but to make lives better mm -hmm. and make sure that we have a clean environment. We have some of the strictest environmental regulations in the world. When you look at the oil and gas sector, we've had huge advances to make sure that we had policies around stopping fracking making sure that we don't have uh, water contamination, which we, by the way, have never had in the province of BC. Uh, so growing up in women's urine. But I will say this, Mike, yes, that, the, you know, there was movement. And, and it's interesting what, what George said earlier about their Definitely. plan was this clean energy economy. Uh, but they haven't, they, they've actually gone backwards. And Bill 17 was going to be pretty much the death knell uh, to that future for British Columbia. Uh, because it would have uh, deeply undermined any further investment into clean energy projects in this province because the, the door would have been closed. And, and we worked with your caucus uh, to raise that and to bring the issues and the concerns that particularly First Nations had about that bill. Uh, right, we're, we're out of time for both of you. Uh, we're going to go to our third debate now with Mr. Heyman and Mr. Bernier. And Mr. Heyman, you get to ask the question. Well, uh, Mike, uh, you were part of a government under Christy Clark that uh, did nothing more on climate after years of uh, British Columbia under Gordon Campbell actually implementing the, uh, the continent's first carbon tax, uh, beginning to have a plan. Uh, Christy Clark turned away from that. The carbon tax was frozen. And by the way, your government had no specific assistance for emission-intensive trade-exposed industries whatsoever. 
So if you believe that we need to do something about climate change, other than the periodic photo op next to a electric vehicle charging station that the former premier liked, mm. what are the details in the BC Liberal platform about exactly how you're going to get us on path to reduce emissions to meet our legislative targets? Because Clean BC is independently modeled in a number of sectors with specific measures that we will take year by year and the emission reductions from those are specified by independent modeling. What is Andrew Wilkinson and your plan? Well, what I can tell, uh, what I can tell you, George, first of all, is we brought in the carbon tax specifically because our government recognized that we, as a province, wanted to show leadership. We also want to make sure, through that leadership, that we were competitive. And we've been waiting for other provinces now to move forward with some form of carbon tax to ensure that we are having a thriving economy. We're not penalizing uh, industry and job creators in the province, but also sending a strong message that we need to do something. What we also won't do, uh, George, is what your government did by canceling IPPs. We've had projects on the books, small projects. No, but George, we had small projects on the book, on the books that were going to help rural, small communities, First Nations communities to get off of dirty diesel. They're not being cancelled. They're being supported by our government. Those those have been cancelled. Those projects Nothing has been cancelled, Mike, and we're investing with Indigenous communities to get off diesel. What we're not willing to do is spend more than the power is worth going forward because you almost bankrupted BC Hydro. You know, I also find it interesting though, George, um, you always talk about the NDP plan Every time there's a plan, you look at the goalposts, you realize you can't get a goal. Those were your goalposts and you were falling behind. You admitted it when you were in And you've moved the goalposts twice already under the NDP government. And you know that even then you're probably not going to achieve them, which is why the premier himself is out there trying to hide away from this issue and not making this a high profile of the NDP platform. It if we not didn't want to meet them, we would have brought in accountability legislation to show every year exactly how we're making progress to our targets and include the independent commentary of a council that will say the advice they're giving us as well as critique what we're doing. Every year we'll say what we're going to do in the next three, we'll say what it'll cost, and we'll say how well we did in the previous two years. That's now law because of a BC NDP government. And under a BC NDP government, carbon emissions have never, ever been higher than they are now in the province of British Columbia. Last year, for which we have emissions data, is 2018. We didn't even bring in Clean BC till the end of 2018. You know that. Quit making things up. Which was just moving the goalposts yet again, George. Mike, where's your plan? What are you going to do? That was the question. What's your answer? Yeah, well, our plan is obviously... Sorry, Kurt? 30 seconds. Okay. Our plan is to continue to work, obviously, not just with the stakeholders, but with the scientific data and making sure we implement our plan. Well, you asked me a question, George, and then you just talk over me. So I guess it's hard for me to give an answer when you don't want to hear it. So. All right. Well, we'll go to our third segment then. It's on taxes and spending, and it features questions from BIV's Tyler Orton. The first question is to Ms. Furstenau, then Mr. Heyman and Mr. Bernier. Tyler? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Ms. First, now, the BC Greens would reinstate the carbon tax immediately and return to regular increases. What, if any, concerns do you have about reintroducing or increasing taxes to British Columbians amid an economic recovery? 
One of the most effective things about the carbon tax when it's applied properly, and again, following the advice of economists, is that it's returned particularly to low and middle income people in the form of rebates. This is something that we put into clean into the confidence and supply agreement uh, and didn't get the full uh, sort of accord on this with the implementation of it by the NDP in this last three and a half years. But when used as a, as a tool, just like uh, uh, taxes on other behaviors we don't want, um, but then using that revenue to ensure that there is support for people as we go through the transition, recognizing that uh, uh, you know low and medium inc- low and in- medium income families do need support through this time, but also recognizing that overall we can see a net benefit to families in terms of, of finances, because if you have a lower income, you're likely spending less on carbon and paying less out in carbon tax than you're getting back in the rebate. That's the goal that we would have following the advice of economists who have been outlining the, the benefits, uh, economic, if we, the economic benefits if we follow that model. Mr. Heyman. Well, thank you. Um, I think it's important to note, and Sonia knows this because she worked with us on, on Clean BC, that part of Clean BC was a system of uh, rebates for electric vehicles. It was investment in, uh, in transit. It was uh, support for uh, transitioning energy. Uh, with respect to the carbon tax, we understood in the pandemic, we first instituted a, a six-month uh, freeze and extended it for another six months because we were in extraordinary circumstance. But our commitment is to raise it again in uh, on April 1st, uh, 2021, and we will be in line with the federal program. We know that businesses and people need to have certainty. They need to know what's coming. We have instituted a whole bunch of other measures that assist British Columbians, whether it's cutting the MSP premium, uh, whether it is the child opportunity tax credit, or whether it is any of the other measures, whether childcare, education, support for students that actually lift up low and middle income people, targeted supports. Thank you, Mr. Bernier. Well, thank you. And to me, it's not just about the carbon tax. It's also about the suite of taxes, which is why we want to have an independent panel look at all of the different taxes within the province of British Columbia to try to make sure how we move forward to make life more affordable for people, not only during the COVID pandemic crisis right now, but how we rebuild the province and recover from this afterwards. That's why we looked at cutting the small business tax, cutting the PST uh, for a year, and making sure that we have a suite of opportunities to help businesses. That's why we wanna make sure that the carbon tax is also looked at and negotiated with the federal government. So the province is not penalized, I guess, in, in any way in comparison to other provinces, unlike the other two parties who want to continue increasing it and putting us at a uh, economic disadvantage uh, around the province. Look, at the end of the day, there's been 23, 23 new or increased taxes under the NDP. Life is less affordable and we need to have a plan to get past this to help families. Thank you, Mr. Bernier. The next question is, though, for you. It's then to Ms. Burstenau and Mr. Heyman. Tyler? Yes, uh, Mr. Bernier, the BC Liberals would reduce the PST to 0% for one year, followed by 3% in year two. It's an endeavor that would cost government upwards of $10 billion in revenue. How will this type of stimulus impact the economy compared with spending billions directly? Well, that's a good question. In fact, we're going to do both. Uh, You look at the fact that we've announced an additional $8 billion in infrastructure spending. It'll be over $30 billion over three years to ensure that we're stimulating 
uh, the economy, not with building. But at the same time, like it's about making sure we're helping people in the province of BC. And right now, a way we can help people tomorrow under a BC Liberal government is by eliminating the PST for one year. We have acknowledged, yes, that is going to have financial uh, effects as far as the revenues into the province. We know that. Uh, nobody's hiding away from that. But we need to figure out a plan to help families, help business to rebuild. As we've said uh, going forward, every, every jurisdiction in the Western world right now is looking at deficits. The difference is, is we've come out publicly and said we will get back to a balanced budget within five years. And in that five years, we will be rebuilding the province and making sure people have jobs and businesses can stay operational. Ms. Persson. Yeah, it's both, both this proposal of, of cutting the PST and also the proposal that the NDP have of, you know, sending checks to everybody. Uh, the, the irresponsibility of this right now is that it, it doesn't have any specific outcomes. And, and one of the things I'm so uh, proud of in our platform is that all of our spending, and we're talking about $10 billion over over three years, um, really points to specific outcomes that we want to reach. And those outcomes are about the health and well-being of people, supporting uh, people in small businesses, the tourism sector, ensuring that we get the economy moving, investing where, again, where economists are telling us the single greatest investment uh, right now that we can be making is in early childhood education. Our proposal is to bring that under the public education system so that it is just simply accessed as easily as possible by every three and four year old in Excellent. this province. Uh, and that the, the early childhood educations are, 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 are paid as professionals. But, but throwing money out the door as part of an, an election campaign uh, really is fiscally irresponsible when we are facing, as Mike says, deficits in the future, we have to be deeply responsible about all of our, our choices. Thank you. Mr. Heyman. Well, the trouble with uh, the proposal to eliminate the PST is it's uh, over a $10 billion hole in the provincial budget in two years, and there's no guaranteed outcome at all because it's indiscriminate where the money goes. Ms. First knows wrong. Uh, the money that we're planning to give to individuals and families has a, a cap of, uh, of income. Not everybody gets it. The people who need it, low and middle income people get it. Um, the BC Liberals also propose uh, to get rid of the employer health tax, and they're not saying how they're going to pay for that. But we know what happened in 2001. First, there were massive tax cuts that benefited predominantly the wealthiest British Columbians. Everybody else paid for it with a reduction in services and higher fees. Our proposal has twice the amount of spending on health care, which is so important to British Columbia, mm -hmm. as either of the other two parties. In addition to that, we are investing in childcare, in education, in urgent and primary care centers, in hospitals, and in schools. That's the needs people have every single day. Thank you very much. The third question is also for you, Mr. Heyman, then Mr. Bernier and Ms. Bersenau. Mr. Heyman, the BC NDP is promising all eligible BC households $1,000 and individuals $500 if elected. What role does this more shotgun approach have on the economy versus using allocated funds to target businesses and individuals most affected by the economic impacts of the pandemic? Well, first of all, it's not a shotgun approach because as you've pointed out, uh, families are up to 125,000 combined income and individuals are 67 uh, and a half. So that money will be spent. It will be spent on things that people need and it will help stimulate uh, the economy. In addition to that, 
Uh, we are supporting small businesses by offering to uh, pay 15% of any additional salary they incur um, uh, over the uh, last quarter of the year, over the previous quarter. Those are measures along with the 300 million that both uh, small businesses and extra money for tourism businesses can apply for, as well as a very targeted uh, PST forgiveness for investment in machinery and equipment. So much of what we do is in fact targeted to small businesses and people to assist them in getting through the pandemic, getting back up on their feet. We're not putting our faith in scattergun approaches we're targeting expenditure where it's needed most. Mr. Bernier. I'm, I'm going to assume people are going to get that $1,000 election uh, promise when they get their $400 renter's rebate. And it's probably going to be in the check at the same time because that's about what we see from the promises from this government. You know, this is a perfect example. And I think Sonia will agree with me on this one, I hope. Um, it was $1.5 billion that was approved by all three parties to actually get out the door months ago to help families, to help businesses, to help people through this pandemic. The $1,000 election by promise is all that is, is everybody's money that they were promised months ago to help them. And instead of putting it and targeting it where the small business, the tourism sector and everybody was asking for it. Instead, this government waited three, four days before an election, they talked about all these things and then boom, election and say, look at this, we have $1.5 billion extra. Yeah, we know the other parties agreed to it. Thanks, Sonia. Thanks, Mike. Uh, but we're going to spend it now to try to buy votes and to win this election. This is a sham. This is by far politics at its slimiest. And I can tell you, it bothers me immensely. Ms. First. Yeah, I mean, I think the other, the other issue to raise with this, and Tyler, it's, it's embedded in your question, is that the expectation that people have is that uh, on the other side of this election, there's a check in the mail. Uh, and it's very different from what George is saying. Uh, but, but again, this is uh, unfortunate kind of campaigning. And, and I agree with Mike that, uh, you know, we've had uh, cooperation in the legislature in 2020 because of COVID-19. Uh, and then all that cooperation was thrown out the window when the NDP decided to campaign on, and as Mike says, a, a COVID recovery package that was approved by all three parties in the BC legislature. I'm going to throw in one more thing here, which is another bill that um, I actually subamended during the, the last legislative session that brought more oversight. The NDP wanted to go back to being able to do special warrants for up to six months after the end of a, a state of emergency. Uh, and I'm very pleased to have uh, subamended that bill so that there is continued government oversight on spending uh, outside of a state of emergency, because the last thing we need is, is lack of oversight on government spending. Okay, well, now that we've, uh, we've warmed you up, we're actually going to feature a lengthier debate, about 10 minutes in total, among the three parties on taxes and spending. You have a lot to talk about, I think. And by draw, we have determined that Mr. Heyman is going to kick this off with questions for either of the two of you. Well, um, thank you very much, Kirk. Uh, and my question to uh, Mr. Bernier is, um, British Columbians under our government, the NDP of three and a half years, uh, a family with uh, income of $80,000 are paying 42% less net tax uh, than they were under your government. So tell me how your math works, because I know that British Columbians are better off under the, uh, the changes that we've made, uh, which include uh, 
reducing uh, the MSP to zero. And under the plans we're talking about bringing forward, whether it's a rent freeze, uh, whether it's the recovery benefit, whether it's investment in childcare, whether it's a 20% cut to ICBC rates instead of your plan to simply turn it over to the private sector, which you don't like in terms of strata insurance, um, or whether it's access to education grants of 4,000, the average family will save $3,400 a year and it'll be targeted, it'll be useful, and it will be what people need. At the end of the day, uh, under your government, taxes have gone up. You just shift. It's shift. Not well, it's not, it actually is. You talk to any economist on this issue. The taxes have gone up. They've just you've shifted them to different areas, paying for them, and that's a trickle down effect that most people will talk about in economics. So you start increasing taxes to anybody. Guess what? Somebody's paying for it at the end of the day. So you look at the impacts to families. When the price of products go up, you look at the impacts to families when they don't get $10 a day childcare that you promised. You look at the families that are being suffering around the province right now because of the opioid crisis that your government has just ignored. You look at the lack of supports that people have had. Look at the, again, this is about making sure that we look at every issue, every person, recovering and rebuilding the entire province. We need to look at a tax system that makes it affordable for everyone, not just you know the, the few unions that happen to get approved to get jobs under a, a BC NDP government. This is making sure life's affordable for everyone. That's why we talk about getting rid of the PST for everyone. That's why we want to eliminate the small business tax, which will have trickle-down effects to help everyone. This is not about picking winners and losers like the NDP want to do, and they have through their entire term. This is about making sure we look at all of the issues in the province. You know, I hear from people in my riding all the time and from around the province when I travel, that they say life is not affordable under this NDP. Rents have gone up, especially when they didn't get their $400 rent rebate that you promised. But $2,000 a year rent increase in Vancouver, life isn't more affordable. Everything is costing more under this government. And we need to make sure that's why we put bold policies in place to try to make sure that we help rebuild this province out of COVID. Ms. Person, you please jump in. Mute. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I, I think that what sets us apart uh, in this conversation and, and, our, and the ways in our platform is different. And, and when we specifically talk about um, taxes and, and spending is that what we're focused on very much are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. And those can be broad outcomes like health and well-being, but they can also be specific outcomes. So in, in instead of a $400, uh, you know, here's everybody gets a $400 check, whether they need it or not as a renter. Um, what we focus on are people who are paying more than 30% of their income in rent, uh, getting the support they need, because this is the, 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 what is indicated as being beyond what is a, an affordable cost of living if you're paying more than 30% of your income in rent. Um, we're looking at targeted outcomes again that would ensure that the investments that we're making right now, because we have to be so mindful with all of the money we're spending, and we are spending a lot of money, governments around the world, uh, including ours, are having to spend a lot of money to make sure things are going forward. We have to be very mindful that it's actually getting us to a place that is more sustainable, more secure, uh, and healthier for people. Throw, again, giant tax cuts like the PSD or, or 
um, you know, throwing huge subsidies, uh, you know, over a billion dollars last year from the NDP to the oil and gas sector. Uh, I'm not sure what outcomes we're going to be getting from those, but those aren't leading us to a more sustainable and healthier. And, and the last thing I'll say on this is in 2017, and I think this is where we need to go, we proposed a working group to develop proposals for an overhaul of our tax system based on extensive consultation with various groups, including tax policy experts, business representatives, consumer groups, and the public, with terms of reference that would stipulate the outcomes we are seeking from tax reform. So streamlining and sim simplification, removal of distortionary effects and perverse incentives, and progressiveness and fairness, as well as revenue raising. And I think we have to recognize, all three of our parties, that inequality has been growing in this province and that it hurts everybody. Uh, we often think of inequality only hurting the people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. It hurts everybody. Uh, and so we have to be feeling an urgency to find the solutions to deal with that uh, as we move forward. I think where Sonia and I agree is that if government is going to spend money and we need to spend money now, we need to target it to the people who need help the most, low and middle income people, small businesses. What we don't need is to uh, put all our faith in one giant tax cut that uh, predominantly will benefit people who have the most to spend, which is the rich. That's exactly what uh, the Liberals did in 2001. And when Mike talks about um, tax cuts and uh, tax burden, we've shifted taxes from low and middle income people and asked the richest British Columbians who make over $220,000 a year in taxable income to pay a little bit more because they can afford it to support how, how is a small business education Mike, so how is a small business that's Mike, struggling to stay alive and Mike you talked about childcare 32,700 more families now get childcare for $10 a day or less after your government had 16 years and did nothing we're going to exceed the 22,000 new spaces we promised and as far as rents go in Vancouver Fairview, where I've been the MLA for seven years, people came to me because they were facing 30 to 40% rent increases under your government because of loopholes. We closed the loopholes, we froze uh, rent increases to the rate of inflation, and now we're gonna freeze them entirely for a year and then permanently keep them at the rate of inflation. That's the kind of support we give people who need help every day just to get by and to have life be affordable. Well, and I Actually, in contrast, those are actually all election slogans and promises that you've made under your government and Premier Horgan that you have not delivered on. I think it's around 2% of your promise for childcare, $10 a day childcare, has actually been achieved, which is why we're trying to put 2,700 families. And, then, and now you're interrupting me there, George, after you asked me not to interrupt you. I mean, look, again, the, this is the, uh, the challenge that we've seen with the NDP government is they're just throwing promises at the wall to see what sticks, but not able to deliver on, on hardly any of them. We've got more portables in Surrey now than we've ever had, even though the Premier and now Minister of Education stood on a corner and said, don't worry, by the next election, all the portals will be, portables will be gone. We've got more now. Surrey has been just ignored under this government. And what another group that we need to show supports for when we're talking about taxes and incentives is our seniors. Our seniors need to be part of this discussion, which is why we announced a billion dollar infrastructure plan to try to help uh, ensure that we can work on aged facilities. We have a couple of $7,000 grant to seniors so they can age gracefully at home with supports. And we've seen that uh, tremendously through COVID that people just want that support so they can stay at home. 
going to jump in here because I think, you know, yes, uh, we need to focus our supports on people who need it the most. We need to ensure that our education system is, is, is well supported, not in a feeling of scarcity or austerity. Um, but the, the difference, I think, between us and the NDP that really needs to be pointed out is, and I think, you know, where we, we recognize the importance is uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses who are really feeling uh, that they're struggling right now. Um, we know that that some of the supports have not been moving out the door because of this election. We know that the tourism sector uh, needs more help right now. The grant process is too complicated. The criteria are too complicated. Um, and I think that this is, you know, a, a fundamental difference. And one of the things that we have in our platform is the billion dollar uh, sort of innovation fund for, for small and medium businesses that uh, know how to transition, know how to become part of the solutions that we need in this province as we move our economy, economy to be more sustainable, uh, but just need that, that extra support to make it happen. And, and that's one of the ways that we are concretely uh, committed to supporting small and medium businesses in this province beyond the, the immediate COVID relief they need with rent help and with the tourism sector getting the grants. Uh, they didn't ask for a task force. They asked for support and help. They're asking to make it through this winter and the criteria have excluded so many of them right now uh, that that nothing that's on the table right now from the from the NDP government would help them. And we need to turn that around and we need to support the tourism sector right now. Right on time, uh, 10 minutes. Uh, you've all been so civilized and very much appreciated. Um, but we are now gonna move to closing statements of 60 seconds each. We're gonna go in reverse order of the opening statements. So it'll be Ms. Firstenau followed by Mr. Heyman and Mr. Bernier. Ms. Firstenau, 60 seconds for you. Thank you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to have had this conversation. I think it's a very important one. BC Liberal and BC NDP governments have promised to make life better for people, but have consistently failed to deliver security and long-term sustainability for our economy. They've not followed through on their promises. And as we recover from COVID-19, we can build an economy that is more inclusive, that has secured jobs for British Columbians around the province. We can establish BC as a world leading low carbon economy and export the ideas and the technology and the innovation that the world needs to solve the climate crisis. We know that the government works better when no party has all the power. No matter the outcome of this election, I will fight for immediate and targeted support that will get us through COVID-19, and I will hold the government accountable for positioning our economy to emerge stronger, cleaner, and more equitable on the other side of this pandemic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Heyman. Well, this election is about uh, an opportunity to decide which path we want to take forward. Do we want to take a path forward that provides better health care to British Columbians, that provides support to people, workers, and small businesses? Or do we want to uh, use gimmicks and tax cuts, not tell people how we're going to pay for them, uh, and then cut services in the future? Mr. Bernier talked about seniors' long-term care and home support. Home support was cut 30% by the previous government. We're committed to training more long-term care workers, 7,000 of them. We're committed to ensuring stability in long-term care homes. We're committed to training home support workers and paying them a decent wage so they can work with seniors so seniors can age in place. We have double the investment plan for healthcare as either of the two parties. And we were rated by the uh, Association of Family Physicians as having the best healthcare plan. We are gonna move forward building a modern diverse economy that looks to the future, a low carbon future and helps everyone. 
Thank you, Mr. Heyman. And Mr. Bernier. Well, thank you. And just want to end also by just saying thank you to everybody who's participating and watching. Uh, hopefully you could see a bit of contrast uh, between the three different parties. The difference for us is, look, Bonnie Henry was hired under the BC Liberal government. We respect the work she's done, but what we're looking for is somebody that continue to work with her and move forward to rebuild the province. We are the only party that's putting form forward, some, some goals and some targets and a vision to help get out of this COVID crisis. The NDP, unfortunately, almost all their speaking notes have been, we might be in COVID for a while, so elect us so we can keep riding on Bonnie Henry's coattails. That's not what this is election is about. It's about making sure we have a vision for the future. And that's something that we've put forward with not only our tax cuts, but our vision around helping seniors. We have amazing candidates around uh, the province. You know, we wanna make sure Again, as the only party that has diversity geographically of the entire province, we remember BC is a big place. We have people in every corner within our party, and we need to work together as a province to get through this and rebuild our province. Thank you very much, Mr. Bernier. I want to thank our candidates, of course, today for their generous provision of their time on the eve of voting day Saturday. Of course, we'll expect them out in their communities here as soon as we're done. In alphabetical order, Mike Bernier, the Liberal MLA in Peace River South, Sonia Furstenau, the Green Party MLA in Cowichan Valley, and George Heyman, the New Democratic Party MLA in Vancouver Fairview. Thanks a lot to our journalists and their questions, Haley Wooden, Nelson Bennett, and Tyler Orton. Thanks also to Albert Van Sanford for his technical leadership and organization for this event. And thanks to everyone there for watching us across Zoom and on YouTube today. No matter your political choice, please make that choice in voting by Saturday at 8 p.m. The results might be some time in coming, but please vote. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief at Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you, everyone.